Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. When you put it into different context, I think people understand that there's a natural progression to things. Like no one expects to start learning an instrument and have mastered it or even gotten to the point where they're any good at all in a month or two months or six months or even a year. There's an acceptance of that. It seems to be more difficult for people to accept that with nutrition. So there's this feeling of like, I have a working knowledge of food because I eat it, Mm -hmm. which is not true. Welcome to the Afternoon Snack Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, with my other host, Meredith, my lovely wife and partner in crime. Today, we are going to be canceling anyone who has ever said, I feel like I should in the context of fitness and nutrition. No, I'm just kidding. We don't cancel people here. But if you are someone who has ever said the words, I feel like I should, blah, 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 you might feel seen. And that's okay. You aren't entitled to anything just because you are working hard. You are entitled to the decision to control how you direct your attention and energy while you slowly develop enough ability and capacity to eventually reach your goals. And what that takes is rigorous, relentless consistency with the tiny little things that you do every day. That is how you move mountains and change your life. Sitting there and either complaining to your coach, your partner, your doggy, that you feel like you should have achieved some progress, some result, some achievement because you've worked hard, I'm sorry, but that just doesn't cut it. It's unproductive. So we're here to nip that and help you move mountains. I'm going to give you a note and then you're going to harmonize with it. I don't know what harmonize means. It means that like if I give you a C, you could hit me with like a G or an E. Okay. I don't know what that means, but I'll just do my best. Uh, Uh, That was actually okay. It wasn't good, but it wasn't bad. Okay. You're hard to impress. I know. Okay. Well done. Thanks. I'm like for your first go at it, kind of impressed. I've always been very musical. Have you? (laughs) Have you been? No, no. This is a time of year that is special to us because we are right around the middle of January, which we observe as the time frame where this all began. The day that we came out to each other. In fact, I think it is actually the Sunday, this Sunday. Yeah. Like the Sunday of Wadapalooza. It's like the master Sunday, but for us, it's Wadapalooza Sunday. Okay, let's back up. Let's go back in time. Okay. Let's walk it back. Okay. We met in 20, I guess in person, we met in 2017. Well, hold that. Yeah. We met in 2016, but we met with a little more intention in 2017. Yes. Intention is one word for it. What word would you use? It was intentional, but it was also like questionable. Like we went in not knowing exactly. There was an uncertainty to it. Yeah. So we met at the games, not as participants, as we were spectating in 2016. Spectators. And then we had kind of started talking a little bit over direct message on Instagram. As you do. Yes. And then basically it came out that we were both going to be at Wadapalooza. 
you were going on team. Yep. And I was going as an individual. And we decided to stay a couple days after Wadapalooza. It was so weird because we had like coordinated. We were like, let's stay in Miami for a few days, which Miami is not my place. That's like, I like it, but I wouldn't. It's not a place that I would just go hang out, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm going to hang out in Miami with this person who I mostly know through the internet and some text message exchanges. Not sure if she's gay. I don't think you knew or you were sure if I was. So it was like, I wasn't really sure what was going on, but I was willing to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I remember booking a hotel room and I remember like we were in Hawaii when I was booking the hotel room where I had booked it because that happens in December with my family or that used to happen in December over Christmas. And then Wadapalooza is mid-January, as I said. So I remember being with my dad walking and he was like wondering what I was doing. He's like, so you're going to share a hotel room? I was like, yeah, but we're getting different beds. I'm getting two beds. And that was a weird conversation. I didn't know that conversation had happened. It wasn't really a thing. It was just like, I think he was trying to figure out what I was doing. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. But I'm like, dad, it's what we do now. Be cool. You know, get with the program. Be cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that was seven years ago. Yeah. And it's kind of funny thinking back to that time for a lot of reasons. But when I met you and then people will, they have stories of their own, I'm sure if they're in long-term relationships. But you know when you meet someone and you're just immediately like, this is going to be an important person in my life. I'm not sure why or what role they're going to play necessarily. There's a role that I hope she'll play, but um, I wasn't sure. That's what I felt when I first met you in Miami. Yeah. I remember feeling instantly comfortable with you. Mm. Like there was never like, oh, I don't really know this person. I have to like, it's kind of indescribable how you might react with someone who you're new with and then someone that you're new with, but also just like as if you've known them for a long time. Yeah. Like it was almost like we met, but we were like old friends. Yeah. Like we hadn't seen each other for many years, but we were like finally like meeting back up. That's kind of how it felt. It was like, it was comfortable. Like yeah. it was awkward for a minute, but then it was like, oh, can I hang out with you guys? Yeah. That's what I said to you. I was like, I'm alone. Can I hang out with you? And I was like, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> exactly what I was hoping you would say. And it was kind of funny, like the whole weekend, because I was there with my sister and a couple of friends who I was competing with. And then like you had people who you knew and I had other people who I knew who were there. And Wadapalooza is like a really social weekend. There's a lot. I mean, there's competing, obviously, but there's a lot of dinners out. There's going to Whole Foods with people. There's kind of just like mingling at the venue. And the whole weekend or a lot of it was basically like the two of us finding ways to like remain together. Yeah. I remember that. I was individual and I don't even really remember competing. Yeah. I usually, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, I always do best in competition when I'm like relaxed mm -hmm. and I'm somewhat distracted. And I think that that's kind of just my MO in life. Like I always do best when I've got a lot of things going on Yeah, and not all my eggs are in one basket or I'm not putting too much pressure on myself. And that was that weekend. Like yeah. I ended up performing really well. I think I got 10th and funny because I didn't even qualify for elite when I did the qualifier. Yeah. I got an invite because of my previous games experience. Yeah. Or actually I had to ask for an invite. I was like, can you just put me in elite? And they're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I guess. Um, and I got 10th. But I remember just being like more interested in hanging out with you. <laughs> yeah, I know. 
I don't remember anything. Like I vaguely remember a few workouts, like elements of them. There was a photo that popped up on my Facebook memories of me like climbing a rope that year. And I was like, I don't remember that at all. Like I don't remember anything besides you. Do you remember my rope climb event? No. I did not have a good rope climb event. I can't, I think it was like double unders and rope climb or something. And I remember that was the last workout of the day was on Bayfront. So you're right in front of the water. Yeah. And I remember walking out and you met me outside mm-hmm. of the doors and I was bummed out and you like, it just was like, ah, whatever. It is what it is. Yeah. And then that was the year that I think the first workout was assault on Fran. Yes. So I do remember things about that, but I do remember like feeling very supported with you. And then when I had met you, I was kind of coming off of a relationship where I felt like it was one of those relationships where that person that I was seeing was very anxious when you're talking about relationship styles. Yeah. And I was insecure. And I honestly think that she made me insecure as like a relationship. Hmm. I know that's not probably the way the science works, but it, it definitely had an impact. Sure. Like you never knew if the person liked you because I don't know if she did or like she was so concerned with like how she felt in the relationship. And like avoiding me. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Anyways, but then to come into a relationship where like you were like clearly interested in me. Yeah. And not even like from a romantic. It was just like I am very interested in supporting this person because like I'm their friend now. Like you would come watch me and stuff. Yeah. And I don't know if you know, if you haven't been to Wadapalooza, you probably wouldn't know the amount of effort it takes to go watch someone, like <laughs> yeah. get into venues and like shoulder your way through and that kind of thing. But it takes a big effort. But I don't recall ever being frustrated with that or like not wanting to. It was what yeah. I wanted to do. Yeah, it's nice to look back sometimes. And this happens every time we watch semifinals or regionals or whatever they're called now. And it's like I miss those times. Yeah. And specifically Wadapalooza, because most of them I was competing with you. We did team of three. We did team of four. That year I went individual is the year I met you. So I have a lot of really good memories from there. Yeah. And, you know, I look and I watch the live stream or I look at results and I I miss it, but not so much that I want to be there now. Like I like my life now. Yeah. And then there was a movie we were watching yesterday where the character said, you know, it's a good thing when you miss something that means that when you had it, it was really great. Yeah. And I think that's certainly how I would describe some of my competition years, but specifically those competitions. Yeah. Yeah. That's I sweet. remember before we would go, I think it was like the final event. We wanted to go watch like elite men or elite women, whoever was after us or we were watching something or like, do you remember? And we were standing together and we were standing side by side and our arms were touching. Yeah. Of course. I remember that. And like, it was one of those where if you were standing next to a stranger or someone who you didn't know that well and your arms touched, you'd be like, oh, and you'd move away. But that happened. And then neither one of us moved away. There was a few signs that weekend that I'm like, hey, she's definitely into me. There was that. There was the video that you sent me in your lingerie. Lingerie. Yeah. When you were showing me how you're like, this is how I sleep at night. And I was like, ooh, I'm like, you're making me out to sound so weird right now. Yeah. I don't even remember the context of that, but there was a video. It wasn't that weird. And it wasn't lingerie. It was like old crappy boxer shorts and that pink t-shirt you used to wear. Yeah, this like super baggy, very light pink t-shirt. Yeah. You literally set the camera up and then you got into bed and you do sleep in a really weird way. I know. I think that's what we were talking about. I think it was something about like what we asked each other. Oh my gosh, I feel so vulnerable right now. Asked each other like what was the weirdest thing about one another. Mm -hmm. My thing was that how I sleep. And it's like, it has to be perfect. I bring my pillow everywhere, still do earplugs, 
depending on where we're at, face mask, and then the actual position I sleep in is odd. It's so like, I wanted to show you. Yeah. And I was like, I like it. <laughs> I don't know how many times I watched that video, but probably bordering on an inappropriate number of times. Okay. And then, yeah, when you left Whole Foods at one time and I was like, text me when you get home, you know, yeah, just little things like that, that yeah. make you, they like plant the seed that like mm -hmm. I care more yeah. than a person who just wants to be your friend cares. Would yeah. Care. Yeah. It was a fun time. It was. So it is kind of fun to reminisce. I think in any great relationship, you look back on the early moments, it's like fond memories, interesting memories. Mm -hmm. And I was saying to you last night when we were reminiscing that even though a lot has changed in our life, I don't think our relationship has actually changed that much from like even that trip. The way that we are together is very similar. Yeah. Like our interests are similar. We've kind of evolved. We have some like a couple of interests that are different, but I think we just share so much. Yeah. And we work together. And so we're kind of growing and evolving together. And then, you know, like we discussed on previous podcasts, we don't have kids. And so we get to remain really close in our relationship, which mm -hmm. is something that, I think when people have children, there's kind of a natural division that occurs. Like, I think that that your relationship with your kids and then your relationship with your partner, like it's maybe as a not family the priority unit. as much. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, I think that's a normal thing that happens and there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that the relationship of people who don't have kids is different than people who are in relationships, but they also have kids. Yeah. Like you're my number one priority. Yeah. Which I like. And it was even early, very early on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So anyways, that always comes up for me this time of year. Just because. Yeah. We should do presents. We should, shouldn't we? Yeah. But like only one-sided. Oh, so you get presents? <laughs> yeah. Okay. That well, seems... your love language is gift giving. It is. It is that. So I'll let you do that for me. For you. I'll let you do that for yourself. I bought you cookies the other day. You did. Yeah. Only because you ate mine. Love cookies. Yeah. So this episode, I guess we wanted to talk briefly about, or maybe not so briefly. We're shifting gears here, people. We are. It's going to be a hard we're going, shift. Yeah. We're going soft to hard. Hard turn to the left. <laughs> and I'm honestly, I was sitting here thinking, how can I make this transition? And there's no way to do no, it. You, you just can't tie them together. It. We talk a lot about clients and people because we work with people and interact with people on the internet. We have a team of coaches. If you're not aware, we are a coaching company. That's our main thing that we do. And so I love it. It's like my favorite thing. I love working with people, whether they're clients of mine or, you know, clients of Alex's or other coaches that we discuss on group calls or even people who reach out for help online or share their experience. There's been a lot more sharing on our Instagram. Like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but in the comment section, there seems to be more people who are sharing stories that are in line with what we're putting out, like their positive experiences of this concept in their lives, which is kind of validating and really cool. Anyways, sidebar, but that's what we do. So we spend a lot of time talking about people, a lot of time thinking about people and reading books and sort of just expanding our vocabulary and working knowledge of working with people. And I think there's a natural urgency that people have when they're making changes to their health habits or their routines or their behaviors to essentially make positive progress towards whatever their goals are. Like you can understand why someone would want that process to go as quickly as possible. However, wanting that process to go as quickly as possible doesn't change the way that it typically goes, which is slowly. Yeah. 
And there's this kind of inevitable part of the process where, especially when you're learning to do new things and you're putting new behaviors or new habits in place, there's this thing where what you're capable of doing, what a person is capable of doing is not good enough to make the progress that they want. So it's going to feel really hard to them because it's different and it may actually be hard, but nothing's happening. It's like hard work, no results. That's pretty much inevitable. To highlight this in an example, you have someone who starts out with us and they're wanting to lose weight as one example. This is a common one. And they've never tracked their food. They've never quantified their diet. They are starting from scratch. They eat what they think is healthy based on what they've learned over the years. But they have like a pretty strong like pattern of eating that right now that works for them and it's just what they know. So they get direction from us. The first thing that they do is to just track their food. They're not even hitting the targets. Like they're not hitting the calorie target, the protein target. Maybe they've like added more fruits and vegetables. Maybe they started eating breakfast. Maybe they've cut out, I don't know, something from their diet that they know aligns with their goals to cut out. And this has taken so much effort for them. Like simply just logging their food has been a big effort, but it doesn't actually change anything. And it doesn't actually yield the results that they signed up for. And it might not yield results for one to two months or more. They just need to get into the habit of tracking their food, figuring out what changes need to be made, make small changes over time. And then maybe they will start seeing actual material results. And in this case, what I'm talking about is the number on the scale shifting. So you mean like the practice of learning how to log food and like look at your diet in a quantitative way, that's what you're talking about, taking so much effort. So even without any real changes being made besides very small ones, learning how to use the tool can be an enormous undertaking. For some people, it can be. So it's kind of like- Learning how to go grocery shopping for some people is hard. Going grocery shopping. Yeah. So it's kind of like, like a, for an analogy, let's imagine you're right-handed and you sustain a like devastating right-hand injury or it gets cut off. So all of a sudden, like now you have to learn how to write and do everything with your left hand. And it's going to feel really, really hard and also still be illegible. Yeah. It's like that. And then that person, I guess what we're talking about to come out with it is we're talking about the person who's learning to write with their left hand, doing it for a week and saying, I have been trying so hard at this. I should be able to write legibly just as well as I could with my right hand because it's been so hard. And it's required so much effort that I'm entitled to these results. Right. And you're like, what? But you've been writing with your right hand for 30 years. How do you expect your left hand? But that's an easy example. Like, I'm pretty sure if you were to say that to someone like, oh, yeah, I guess you're right. Because they know what they've done with their right hand. Often, they don't even know what the right hand is doing. It's somebody else out there who's having great progress. And they're like, I'm working just as hard as them. Mm -hmm. And you want to be like, you don't even know what hard work is. You have no idea what they're doing and you're not even close to their level. Yeah. But I'm also not going to tell you that like, hey, you're not doing it because you are doing it. It's still hard. It's just going to take a longer time for that, what you're doing right now to feel easy enough to add more to maybe start seeing results. And this, when you think about it outside of the context of diet and even sometimes fitness, I find when people are immature 
or they don't have the right perspective for, you know, doing things like CrossFit and making progress there and saying, well, I've been doing CrossFit for three years. Why don't I have a pull-up yet? I should have a pull-up. Other people have pull-ups. Well, it's like, number one, it doesn't matter what other people are doing. You don't know what they're doing. And they're working with a completely different toolbox. Mm -hmm. But anyways, when you put it in a different context, I think people understand that there's a natural progression to things. Like no one expects to start learning an instrument and have mastered it or, you know, even gotten to the point where they're any good at all in a month or two months or six months or even a year. There's like, there's an acceptance of that. It seems to be more difficult for people to accept that with nutrition. And I don't know if that's, I think it's partially, everybody eats a few times a day, three times a day, usually, or more on average. So there's this feeling of like, I have a working knowledge of food because I eat it, Mm -hmm. which is not true. Like a lot of people don't have a working knowledge of food, even though they eat it. And then, you know, there's a lot of shame and judgment that can come with the process of changing your diet and with, you know, struggling with any part of that. I think people feel embarrassed a lot of the times or it can seem so basic that people are like, why am I struggling with something that's so basic? You know, the fact that they are working to them in a way that feels really hard, but not seeing results because they aren't doing enough. I think that is a difficult duality for people to deal with and to grasp and to accept. Yeah. And I'll add, it's like doing enough for long enough. Right. But to your example of, you know, they're not being pressure on someone or there's no expectation for someone who's learning an instrument to become a master in a very short period of time. Part of that is because you're not, you know, walking through the grocery store or in line at the grocery store and you see like four magazines that say, so-and-so learned like how to play Jimi Hendrix in, you know, three months. Right. But you do see like so-and-so lost 40 pounds in 10 weeks. Yeah, which, you're right. I mean, that's almost moderate for a magazine. It's like has lost 30 pounds in four weeks. 28 pounds in a, a month. Day. Yeah, <laughs> it's you're right. Yeah, it's that's part of it. Uh-huh. So it's like, yeah, of course, you're going to feel like you're failing when you think about that. But what a lot of like specifically our clients don't see or a lot of like people who have this goal of fitness or health is that they're not the only ones where they're struggling with the rate of progress. We say it in the plan, this is what the expected rate of progress. Basically, if you follow it to a T, which straight up, not that many people do. No. And that's okay. We don't expect perfection. But it's like, you have to be pretty consistent and pretty compliant. And then also be doing it for like at least three or four months to really see a change. Yeah. And that's the same thing with fitness. And maybe not even with fitness. I think that- Because it depends. There's fitness, there's more opportunity for- like early adaptation, if you are doing nothing for fitness, like zero on the couch and you start even the most basic fitness routine, you're going to make progress right away. It's baked in. The thing that people run into with fitness is that when they get through that kind of newbie gains, novice adaptation phase, then they're like, well, what's going on? It's not working. Why isn't it working? It's like, no, no, no. It's like, it's working. You're just, your progress is going to slow down because you've kind of tapped out that specific you know, phase of adaptation. And sometimes people struggle to tolerate that. Like, what do you mean? I'm not going to make progress as fast. You're not going to make progress as fast. Like wait until you're 15 years into it and you haven't PR'd anything in five years and then check back in with me. Yeah. You know, like that's part of it, but you kind of have to earn the right to do the work to make real progress. And the way that there's a buy-in. 
Yeah, there's you're going to wade in the waters, right? Like I think that so much of the nutrition industry is developed on this idea that's like, just jump in the pool. It doesn't matter if you can swim, just jump in. But what happens is people just drown in whatever pool they've jumped into because they don't have the prerequisite skill or ability. It might be the wrong approach for them, might be inappropriately low calorie, weird, unsustainable, just yeah, for lots of different reasons. And, you know, a lot of those things and those programs are not developed to actually help people. They're developed to sell. And so they'll sell you whatever you want to hear as long as you buy the book or the program or the template or whatever it is. Whereas the way that we work with people is really here's the waiting pool. Like first, we're going to dip our toes in and then we're going to walk into our ankles. And that's kind of how you develop over time the prerequisite skill, ability, knowledge, patience to do the work that's required to make progress. But you have to be able to tolerate that period of time where what's hard for you is not enough. Yeah. And I don't blame people for having expectations. No. It's when... And we've talked about this in the five pillars of success, where you're coming from a place of curiosity or not. And what we get from certain people or we've experienced is the line, I feel like I should have these results because I have been trying hard. Yep. And instead of, you know, either intrinsically looking in and saying like, okay, I'm working really hard and I'm not seeing results. Is it possible that I might need to try harder or is it possible I need to do this for longer? Yeah. Or is it possible that I just need to make like, again, like I said, give it enough time for this feels easy and then add more. Or what is somebody else doing that I'm not doing? Yeah. These questions aren't necessarily asked before they come at their coach with like, this isn't working working." or I feel like I should. I went I, the whole month of December and I didn't lose a pound. Yeah. It's like, well, you took three out of four weeks off of tracking. You were traveling. You were also sick. You were with your family. Sorry, what did well, you? Sometimes people think tracking, just simply putting their food in an <laughs> right. app is going to yield success or progress. Yeah. And I'm like, no, because I could log food for 30 days in a row and number one, eat something completely different eat something that's not represented in my logging, something that's off by 250 or 300 calories per day. Like, oh, I logged my food, so I should... Well, did you weigh and measure everything? Yeah. Did you like... like well, no. Like, that's are like, you sure it's accurate? Like, there's that. I mean, like tracking is the tool. And I use this line all the time. Tracking is a tool. It's not the program. No. It is not even the only tool that we use. It allows you to make changes and to observe. Like, to think that you know, just tracking and not even doing a good job of it at that is what's going to make progress is like showing up with a pile of siding for your house and a hammer and dropping the hammer off and then showing up a day later and being like, well, why isn't the siding on the house? And it's like, well, because you didn't use the tool correctly. It's like, well, I got the tool. Why isn't it working? Yeah. We have to use it the right way. Or you like, I don't know what siding is, but I I think I kind (laughs) of do. But it's like you hammer siding all over the walls of your house and you expect that to be a good job and for you to have like what you need to have a nice house. Like that's what some people use tracking for. Yeah. It's like they just plug in food that isn't even like what they're eating. In, in their defense, tracking can be difficult. And again, that's the learning curve. Like that's the time you have to be accurate. Yeah. And sometimes that takes practice or it's like maybe you can't eat out all the time. Right. Like if you're logging restaurant food all the time, 
Like that is the equivalent of hammering siding on a house and wondering why it doesn't look good. <laughs> why is it crooked? Well, because you hung it up crooked. Why do you think it's crooked? Yeah. And it's that question, right? Like what else could I be doing? And what areas could I be growing? What do I not know? What can I learn instead of like, this isn't working? It's not working. Because you're not working. Yeah. No but, offense. But the question is, why isn't it? Exactly. What could I be doing differently? What could I be doing more? Do I just keep doing this? I need to wait longer. I get people who change their macros one week. They're like, it's not working. I need or to change brand something. brand new person coming in one week. This isn't working. Like, I'm not sure this is going to work. It's hard to even have that conversation with people. What you want to say is like, are you kidding me? But you also understand that they're coming from diet culture. Right. Which is like, yeah, straight up. They have a right to have an expectation that they should lose weight in a week. But the problem is, is like that just leads to frustration because that expectation is at a complete mismatch with reality. Yeah. And that line, like when people use that line, I feel like I should. That's a clear indication that they're looking outside of their locus of control for like the reason why something's not working. I feel like I should. And it's like, no, 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 that's not the way to go about this. And that question, like, because we always want to be like, you don't want to make something so hard that it's not sustainable. Obviously, we don't be jumping in pools. We've already talked about that. So the key is to understand what your capability is. Like, where's my skill set at? What can I definitely do? No problem. And then just like overextend just a little bit. So you always want to be kind of stretching just like a little bit beyond what you're capable of, but like not so far beyond that you can't learn and create adaptation with behaviors and understanding and just sort of expand that skill set. So you do that for long enough. And now this thing that was, you know, initially hard has become less hard. So it's like, okay, now what can I be doing? How can I grow and learn and continue to make progress? And eventually, you know, you might get someone to a point where they know enough, they have enough of a toolbox where they can make progress. And then the answer really is time. Mm -hmm. But to get someone to a point where, you know, effort multiplied by time is going to be effective, you have to get them to a point where their effort is sufficient to produce results. Mm -hmm. And then that's when results become inevitable. But just because something feels hard doesn't mean that you're at that effort. And there's this, which I know we've talked about Angela Duckworth's book, Grit, but there's this line in that book that, you know, for as much as talent counts, effort counts twice. And I like this line a lot because she really sort of encapsulates this concept by saying, with anything, there is the amount of effort that it takes to build a skill. So that counts. But then the skill only counts if you put it to use. So then your effort using the skill that you've built counts again. Effort counts twice. But you don't get to just have the skill. No one's born with these skills or knowledge or anything like that. Some people have certain talents, but it's not talent that guarantees success. It's not, you know, status. It's not anything besides the ability to work hard at things that you care about for a long time and put your ego aside, which I know we've talked about that in the Pillars podcast, but being able to set aside, you know, ego and let go of this expectation that you're just going to get it right away is hugely important. It's hugely important. Yeah. I mean, you said it. I have a story I can tell. Okay. It is a client story, but it's not a nutrition story. So I have this client who I've worked with for several years and she has, it's like frozen shoulder. Do you know what this is? No. Where essentially like, you know, I can put my hands over my head. If you're listening, my hands are over my head right now, straight up. Frozen shoulder, at least the version that she has, she essentially like couldn't lift her shoulder past 45. So like nowhere close to getting it overhead. And then 
you know, limited range of motion in certain pressing movements. And this is a person who's athletic, an athlete, works in athletics. So it's like, it's kind of a problematic injury and thing. And she's had this for like a year, frozen shoulder or more at this point. And, you know, I'm aware that she's like seeing people and getting it worked on and just like constantly trying to figure out what's going on with it and how it happens and how to make progress with it. And so last week she told me that she said one little update that I have, and she's so like, you know, modest about it is that she said, I have enough range of motion to do a bench press now, which is a huge improvement in what she's been able to do. And I said, does it feel surreal? And like, she's been making just faster progress with it lately. So I said, does it feel surreal to be making this kind of progress after so long of not making any progress with range of motion? Because this has just been ongoing. And she said, I've been doing effing range of motion exercises forever. And it was just killing all the fun of lifting. So like this made me excited. And she said, I feel like I finally made it to base camp after walking to the mountain for a year if that makes any sense. And I thought that was a great analogy because she knows even with the progress that she's been making, she's just at the base camp. Like now she gets to start to climb the mountain, but she's been walking this whole time to the camp. And I I was like, that is, that's an amazing analogy, but you don't just get to helicopter to base camp. That option doesn't exist. Yeah. And some people, I mean, I like that because she's, even though, you know, you're not going up, you're still making progress to eventually go up. Whereas some people who maybe don't see it in that perspective might imagine themselves as standing still. Yeah. But like not just not going anywhere. And yeah. not keep going. And that that's with injury. That's with, you know, nutrition. That's with body composition goals or health goals. And that's certainly the case with fitness. I do wonder too, like she's an athlete. She, you know, has been an elite athlete. She works with elite athletes. And so there's this, I feel like, you know, not to put athletes on a pedestal because I definitely don't want to go down the path of like muscular Christianity, kind of like, you know, over idolizing the athlete. But Mm -hmm. I do think that there are certain mindset changes that happen for athletes. And there's a certain skill set, like mental skill set that athletes have. And you probably learn it through sport. So I wonder if that kind of changes things for her in a way that's like, well, time is going to pass anyways. It's just, it's going to go on. So I can either like, you know, be sour about this and stop trying because I don't believe that my situation is ever going to change or it's ever going to improve. Or I just keep working at it because I have nothing else to do anyways. It's like that post we did, the green light, the red light thing. Yeah, You're sitting at the red light and you just, you can't stand waiting and you feel like it's never going to turn green. So instead of just waiting a little bit longer, you turn around and go home. Yeah. And then little did she know the light was turned green just after she turned around. Okay. I do have a story on that. This is off topic, okay. but we're going to go there. So our coach Meg and her wife, Jackie visited us. And if you're in a fitness program, you probably know Jackie because she's on the emails. They came to see us in Fernie. And so we went for that bike ride because we take everyone who visits us in Fernie for a bike ride. It's like a litmus test to see who stays on the bike. <laughs> yeah. Most of them don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So far, I think Lindsay's there's only the only one, I think. But Lindsay did like she wrote up that one trail climbing trail in like the hardest I know, gear. But she made it. She didn't crash. It was classic relationship. Like Chris was like, ah, you probably want to downshift. But it's like you can't coach your yeah. spouse. Right. Yeah. So she just like wasn't listening. And I'm like, why is she like sweating so much? And it's because she was in like the hardest gear. Yeah. So very impressive. But she did stay on the bike. She's the only one. 
Anyways, we were riding around one of these trails in Fernie that's just kind of a town loop and it cuts across a train track. And so there's a train there. And I was like, all right. And I've like, there's a lot of trains that go through Fernie. You hear them all the time. So we're like waiting, waiting, waiting. Nothing's happening. Train's still there. So I'm thinking like, you know, some people just like hop over the connector, but we had the bikes and trains kind of freaked me out. So they're like waiting and I was just feeling like very impatient. So finally, I don't think anyone wanted to hop over the tracks and go in between the cars thankfully with our bikes, with our bikes. So we ended up backtracking back through town and we come to this part of the trail and we look kind of like back up and there was no engine on the train. They were just, the cars were just parked. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, I'm glad we didn't wait much longer. Yeah. But that's not how red lights work. They turn green usually, or if you're out very early or very late at night, they might not, but then you just like very cautiously run it, but don't do that in the daytime because you might get a ticket and a breathalyzer. And right. all of that stuff that happens. So anyways, the whole concept of like time's going to pass anyways, you can work towards your goals or you can not. A lot of people just, it's the starting and stopping and starting and stopping. And then that can become kind of a learned cycle of honestly negative progress where you're just learning to quit things that don't work. So you're not learning that patience part. That is such an important part of making progress and developing skills. And that's not just waiting around. Like that's not patience. It's continuing to work while things take longer than you think they should, which that's most things. Sometimes I feel like on the athlete topic, an elite level athlete has experience in losing and winning and making teams and getting cut and getting, I know speaking from experience, like getting told off by the coach, like getting in trouble, you know, being told like, you're not, that wasn't good enough. Like You're not racing in this race. You're not, you're going to be on the bench this time. Like you have to earn it. And there's no, like, I feel like I should be on the field. I mean, yes, I'm sure there are athletes who think that, but that's too bad. Yeah. Like just because they're on the team doesn't mean they get a play just because they're playing doesn't mean they get to keep playing. Yeah. Like they have to keep working hard. And it's, you know, if they say to the coach, like, Hey, I feel like I should be on the field. Like the coach is going to say, really? Why do you feel like you should be on the field? Like, well, I, I, I came to more practices than that person out there who's on the field. So what? That person's better than you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas like in real life, in adult life, no one's really saying that. It's kind of like, well, why do you think you should be losing weight? Well, because I'm paying for a nutrition coach. Hmm. Hmm, okay. Really? And I sometimes think that somebody who maybe hasn't had the experience in music, athletics, maybe even in their career, and they've played recreational sports or athletic sports growing up as a kid where you try hard, you come to the game, you participate, you get a participation ribbon. Mm. That's what people want. They want the participation ribbon. But what they don't know is the participation ribbon is nothing. It goes in the garbage. And honestly, so do medals. Yours. Yeah. (laughs) Because they don't mean anything. Yeah, It's like, it means you won that day, but it doesn't mean anything going forward. Yeah. There's learning and, you know, you don't get what you don't earn. And you learn that quick as an athlete. You learn that quick in sports. And it's not about, like you said, not just about hard work, not just about talent, not just about luck, not just about opportunity. It's variety of factors. Yeah. But it doesn't change anything for you. Yeah. Like, and it doesn't help to sit there and say, oh, that person's just lucky. That person just has good genetics. So what? Why are you comparing yourself to them? And it doesn't matter. I feel like at this point, we've debunked that so many times. Yeah. Like, I mean, there are certainly certain genetic factors that would potentially determine the area in which a person strives. You know, I think 
people who are really tall often play volleyball or basketball. You know, people who are quicker and thicker maybe are playing football if you're a guy or, you know, soccer if you're a girl. But it's the hard work. It's the work. It's the effort. It's being gritty that determines someone's success in their endeavors. And that's Angela Duckworth's research outside of grit, her actual research is on these kinds of character traits. And she's looked at people who have, you know, an abundance of talent. They come from parents who are both athletes. They come from affluent families. They have all of these things working towards their success. And yet they don't have more success than people who demonstrate the character trait of grit. People who demonstrate the ability to work hard without any results and keep working hard at that until they make progress. And then while they're making progress and getting results, guess what? They're still working hard. They're working even harder. Do you know how hard people who are winning work the hardest? Yeah. Because that's what it takes to continue to win in anything competitive. Yeah. It's similar to when you work hard to lose weight. You have to keep doing what you're doing to lose the weight, Mm -hmm. to keep the weight off. Just what you did to get fit to hit that 200 pound snatch. Yeah. You have to keep doing that to even just maintain that 200 pound snatch. You're telling me. Yeah. And then if you lose it, just because you used to be able to do it doesn't give you the entitlement to say, oh, well, why can't I do that? I used to be able to because times change. You change. Your work ethic changes. Your outside responsibilities change. Do you know what a a mental like shit situation it is as an athlete to be able to look back on a time in your life when you were performing better and grapple with that period of time and what you used to be able to do while still working hard to not even be as good as you once were. Like that's been my situation for years and yours too, in a lot of ways. So it's like, it's so tempting. It's so tempting to be like, well, what's the point? I'm never going to be that good again. It's just never going to happen and mail it in. Like you fight that battle every single day. And that's the reality of every athlete ever is that you are going to get to a point where that's going to happen. Yeah. Where you're the only thing, if you're just looking at objective measures of success, weight lifted, paces run, times, results, if that's what you're looking at as your singular metric of success, there is a time coming where that number, like there's no way to prevent it going down. There's no way to prevent it. And if you don't have a good understanding of like what you're going to do mentally when that starts to happen, It's not going to be good. And those are athletes. Those are people who have had success and people who haven't had that level of success. They aren't athletes. They don't have that mental strength. You know, maybe the only thing that they've ever had to celebrate, maybe ever, is what they used to weigh that one time when they graduated college. Yeah. You know, I used to weigh this and, you know, I just want to weigh that. I just want to look like this and I just want to have that. Like if the only thing that a person has ever had is the way that they used to look, holy shit. Because guess what? You know what you definitely can't say? You might be able to hold on to some athletic performance. You might be able to redirect that in different sports and different categories and classes and age groups, whatever. You know what you can't prevent, though? Saggy tits. That (laughs) is not something that you can prevent. Wrinkles. Yeah. Like there there are are some results that are completely outside of our control. There's just people are still saying, I feel like I should. There's a biological endpoint to being a human being. And it's the same for everyone. And before you get to the endpoint, which, by the way, is death. If you're lucky enough to get to death by old age, your body is going to change a little before you get there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have two points. The first is 
finding like joy in what we're doing, because that's number one. When you know that the weight is going to have to get lighter, you have to know why you're doing something. Like, yeah, maybe your body changes, but you're still doing the same amount of work because you value your health. You enjoy fueling your body. Your value is wellness. So it doesn't matter that your body is changing a little bit. You know, you're still doing what makes you feel good. And it's the same thing in the gym. Like for us, like my snatch maybe could get back up to 175. I don't think it will, but I still snatch every single week because I love it. And you know what? Of 155 and 160 days still amazing for me. I'm stoked about that. Yeah. I'm not sitting there saying, oh, I used to be able to lift 175. I mean, yeah, certainly there are days where I'm like, oh, I'm getting weak <laughs> and it kind of sucks, but I'm like, but I can still snatch. Yeah. I still love this. I still love coming into the gym and enjoying lifting. Yeah. And then there are some days where like, and this is who we're speaking to. It still feels really hard for me to get to the gym. I feel like I'm still putting in the same amount of effort in my snatch sessions or in my workouts. And yet my results aren't as good as they could have been, but it's feeling just as hard because I have other things in my life that I'm putting my effort into. Yep. So yeah, working out is going to feel harder. Getting to the gym feels harder. <laughs> Making time for it is going to feel harder. But instead of saying like, wow, this feels just as hard as it used to be and I'm lifting less weight, I can look at the bigger picture and say, yeah, I'm still working really hard at this. The weight's going down, but also this is my life. Yeah. This isn't the number one priority anymore. There's just, there's a lot of factors that people fail to consider. And instead of like saying to my coach, like, this isn't working. Like, why am I snatching? I'm not lifting what I used to be able to lift. Yeah. I might say like, hey, you know, it would be nice to like hit a higher weight. Do you think that's number one possible? Yeah. Or number two, what would it take? Yeah. And then he can give me some direction. What would it take to lift 175 in a snatch? It would take this. Now you decide whether you want to pursue that. Right. What would it take to be this lean? Okay. Rather than I feel like I should be this lean because I'm trying hard. I'm very passionate about this subject because yeah. nothing is worse than that line. Nothing comes out of it. Number one, you're not going to get what you want with that mindset. There are some coaches who just be like, get out of my office. Yeah. Uh, you're done. If you send that to me, you're done. And like, we don't take that approach, but we will certainly try to talk you in a different direction. But that is one of the most irritating lines that you can ever get as a coach. Ever, 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 ever. The word should. Enough. I feel like I care about your feelings. I don't care about what you feel like you should be accomplishing. I don't. Like, what are you doing? It's just not productive. It's anti-productive. Yeah. I think that talking about joy and like finding joy in the process, you know, on the topic of elite athletes, I think that there's this image that a lot of people have of elite athletes that they're this super, you know, serious, very intense, you know, they suffer alone in the dark. They don't enjoy what they're doing, but I think they do. And you have to, to be good at it. If you don't know who Courtney DeWalter is, you should look her up, but she's probably the best ultra distance runner that is on the planet right now. She's just like, she's an alien. She's so good. But she always has this like smile on her face. She looks like a genuinely happy person. And she did this podcast and this quote came out of it. And she said, and this is her, this is her quote. I keep joy in the front seat of the car. Joy is driving the car. And if that's ever not true, there will be a full reassessment. I want ultra running to be something that I do my entire life. No matter how bad I'm hurting or how much of a zombie I look like in the tough moments, I'm reminding myself constantly at all times of how lucky I am 
and how lucky it is to be out there doing this thing that I love so much. And it can be fun and hurting at the same time. Mm -hmm. I love that quote. Yeah. I think that's one of the best outlooks. And that's kind of how you have to look at the difficult moments is like, you're still lucky to be able to be putting effort into this area. There's a certain amount of like privilege required to do that. And there's tons of people who probably wish they had free time and energy and money and resources to do certain things and certainly athletic endeavors. There are people who, yeah, if they had the talent or the time to develop themselves for sure, but maybe they don't, you know, for their own reasons. So I think that like, you know, finding a way to really enjoy the process by, you know, for a lot of people, it's finding ways to celebrate wins. It's finding ways to appreciate themselves more. It's finding ways to feel good because you shouldn't feel like, you know, a martyr in it. You shouldn't feel like a slave to some miserable approach or program that you just hate. Like there's a way for joy to be a central component of it. Yeah. I think as coaches, sometimes we have like the process oriented people and then we have the goals oriented people and results oriented people. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But often when someone says like, Hey, I want like after two weeks, they expect results. Okay. So as a coach, I mean, no matter what we want the person to achieve the result, we want for them what they want. Yeah. So Let's say with the example of weight loss, they don't see results in two weeks. So what the coach is doing, and we've all done this, I think, on our team, is, is try to find other more like instant results for them. Like, oh, well, do you feel better? Are you sleeping better? Like, are you feeling better in your workouts? Like, we're trying to identify instant gratification for them rather than just saying like, yeah, you're not going to see anything for three months rather than teaching them like, the reward right now is in the process. The fact that you're doing something without results. But we as coaches are trying to give them what they want, which is instant gratification. Or just help them pick out little wins. Which can be helpful. Yeah. But at the same time, like, what if it weren't for those little wins? What if it is just about the process? Like, you did it today. That's the win. Yeah. You did what you need to do to get there in three months or six months or six years. Yeah. In terms of like enjoyment... I was on Instagram and I read a post by Adam Grant and it's happiness is not about reaching your goals. It's about aligning your goals with your values. Progress without purpose is empty. Achievement without impact is fleeting. Success is most rewarding when it serves the people and principles that matter to you. And I love that. And that's, you know, kind of a goal oriented focus, but I think having a goal that aligns with your values and that achievement is something that aligns with your purpose yeah. helps you fall in love with the process. And understanding what that why is. Yeah. Like maybe you're trying to get healthier, whatever that means to you, because you want to be around a long time for your kids. So like when you're suffering and progress is slow and you're like, I hate getting up early and working out, you know, I wish I could have a burger and fries instead of this meal prep and you're just really in it and there's no dopamine to be found whatsoever in the process and you're just slogging away, you say like, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this for them. And like just checking back in with why you're doing what you're doing can be enough. If why you're doing what you're doing is because you want to have a six pack, like that's going to be problematic because it's such a fleeting, it's such a surface level goal. You know, there are other questions that you want to ask in that situation. But if your why is good and it serves a value that's very important to you, like you know, you want to be around for your kids because you have a core value that is family and love and connection, then that's going to feel better than, you know, if you have yourself convinced that you want to do it because you want abs, which serves really 
no purpose at all, if you're being honest. For most people, unless you're like a model or an actor or something. Yeah, maybe. Which, again, might align with like a bigger, more valuable why. Yeah. Like career. I want a good career. Yeah. I want security. I want this, whatever. But yeah, I'm very passionate about that subject. Yeah. It's just, it's kind of one of those, like if you hear it come up and I'm trying to remember a time if I've ever said it and I, I don't think I have. And that's not me saying that I'm better than people who fall into that trap. It's just an observation. It's kind of like how I've never really set a goal and you've never set a goal. That's like, oh, I want to compete at the CrossFit games or, you know, I want to run a sub three hour marathon. Like these things just kind of emerge based on the areas that you love and that you work really hard in. But you know, having to set an explicit goal in order to motivate behavior. That's not something that I've ever done, but some people do and they like that. And that's fine. That's just never crossed my mind. Like that level of entitlement to results has not, I just like the work. Yeah. If, and if I don't like the work, it means I don't like the thing and then I'm not going to do it. That's it. I didn't like learning French. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't do the work. Yeah. And there wasn't a reason for me to, if there was this job, like let's say I had a job that I really loved and they're like, all right, Meredith, here's the deal. You got to move to France. You got to go to Paris and do research there on whatever it is that you're doing, but you're going to have to learn French. But if you learn French, there's going to be an enormous opportunity for you there. But now I probably learn French. But I, if I don't have a reason, I'm not going to do it because yeah. I don't care enough. Yeah. But even if you do have a really good reason and you're moving to France, you're not going to be somebody who like two weeks in is ticked off because they're not fluent. No. I mean, I don't know. I That's just... I don't think anybody really would do that with language. It's just like we said, there's a more of an expectation and more entitlement with fitness and nutrition yeah. for many different reasons. But yeah, that's to just kind of describe the situation that some people put themselves in and get frustrated or put their coaches in or put whoever in. Yeah. And it's just, it's just not productive. So like, I guess the takeaway here, because we always like to be productive and not just sit here and complain about people is when you're unhappy or you're frustrated, ask yourself why. Ask yourself, like, do my expectations align with reality? And if not, why? Ask someone, like, why am I not meeting my expectations? Are my expectations realistic? Like, am I doing the work required? Obviously not, because you're not seeing the results. But why not? Yeah. Like, dig deeper. Stay curious. Yes, like, I always validate someone who's frustrated. And you should validate your own feelings. Yeah. But don't just stop there. That will help you propel yourself forward. Yeah. And don't give up. No. Don't give up. The least productive move of all is giving up. Yeah. And that is as long as you feel like you, I mean, you sign up for something or you try something because you want to. And if you feel like you've chosen something that is something that you trust, then give it a go. Yeah. If it's something that you maybe signed up on a whim, I don't know. Now we're getting into, we're qualifying everything. Don't get too nitty here. Yeah. We're basing this on the assumptions that you've chosen a reasonable path forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Alex, good one. Thanks. Thanks your you too. Insight. I think we share a passion on this topic. I think anyone who works with people who struggle probably share a passion on this topic. And we hope that it was enlightening. Sometimes it just helps to hear these things said in different ways and different examples and just be reminded that it's okay for things to take a little longer than you wish they would. And that's fine. That's life. Time's going to pass anyways. Just keep working hard if you care about it. That's the path. That's the move. And if you feel like you don't know something that could be helpful, then you know, reach out to someone who might for help. 
There's nothing wrong with getting help. Yeah. And then lastly, not to open a new can of worms, but it can be helpful when you're pursuing something while in pursuit, also accept where you are at. That can help increase the enjoyment of the process. Yeah. Thank you for listening. As always, we appreciate your support. If you like this episode, please consider sharing it, liking our show, leaving us a review. And if you didn't know, we do work with people. So if you are struggling with some new behaviors or habits or just interested in digging deeper on health, nutrition, fitness, we would love to work with you on those things. And you can learn more at our website, which is tacticmethod.com. You can check out our fitness website if that tickles your fancy, which is tacticfitness.com. And you can find us on Instagram at tacticnutrition. We'll catch you on the next one.